Well, welcome to the gathering. I'm Jeff, and uh, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John. We're in ch chapter 9, verses 8 through 17 tonight. And it's continuing the story of the blind beggar that Jesus healed. Now, this is something that I've been mulling over. It's been something that comes from my personal life and just what God has been speaking to me. It's this idea that we, we often question what we see. We, we question what we see. Maybe it's on the news. Maybe it's what you read, what people tell you. We, we question what we see. But very seldom do we question how we see. Right? We, we very seldom ask, like, how is it do I see the world? I, I oftentimes give this car analogy to, to people about how life is like a journey and we're this car. And as you go through life, things happen to you. You get a flat tire, you get a, a fender bender, you get a head-on collision. And you realize is that for the most part, every single one of us in here has had something bad happen to us. You lose a, a loved one, you suffer from sort of some sort of physical or, or mental in, illness, whether it's abuse, bullying, or just some sort of unfortunate event. Everyone in here goes through something hard at one point or another. And what happens is if we don't address these issues, it will begin to influence your thinking and your decisions. Just like a car that it, it pulls to the right. I had a friend that had a car, and it's like it, it needed alignment. You'd let go of the steering wheel, and instantly it would just pull to the right. And if he ever fell asleep at the wheel, he'd be dead because he'd be in the ditch like less than a second. But as cars need maintenance over time, I would tell people, so do we. We need to learn to align our thinking to the word of God. We need to pull into the pit stop and get repairs. Or, or after a while, it's like we're driving this junker on the road and wondering why everyone's passing us by and wondering why we, we can't sort of make sense of our life. It wasn't until recently that I've begun to rethink this idea. That's what I've always told people. Because it's not what happens to you that matters as much as how it's influenced how you see the world. You guys know that. Right? It's like the, the same thing can happen to 10 different people, and the response can be 10 different things. It's not what happens to us that matters. It's, it's how it influences how we see the world, how it influences the way we think. And so I want to continue with this, this car illustration because I believe a more accurate depiction of what actually happens to us as we go through life is that we have this, like, windshield, and bugs, splatter, dirt, gunk, cracks get on this windshield. And if we don't clear that stuff off using our windshield wipers, well, it begins not only to influence how you see, it determines what you see. See, those two are connected. How you see and what you see are connected. I had this 99 Civic. It was my first car. It had over 200,000 miles and I never washed it. Why? Because I was like, I don't have to wash this car. It's old. And my friends will often ask me, how do you see at night through your windshield? And I would just reply, well, I just try to find a spot that kind of looks clean or whatever. And I just look through that. And I 
don't look at anything else. Well, what's sad is that that's a lot of us. We, we see life through this dirty windshield. We find this maybe one little spot that is less blurry than everything else, and we view life through a limited perspective. We view life through something that is mired, and a lot of times we don't even realize it. It's very hard to, it is very hard to um, know that your thinking is skewed. They, they say no deception is like self-deception. We are so good at self, self-deception. It is, not even, it is not even funny what people believe, what they believe about themselves. Now, I ministered to this young woman recently. She was, was telling me her, her life story. And she was the oldest of four, grew up in a, a home with an angry, abusive father and a very controlling mother. Her siblings had various medical conditions, very severe to to limited, to where taking care of them was the full-time job of her mother. And as an older sister, she did the best that she could to manage. But the thing is, is that she had to grow up fast, and the need to take care of her siblings overrided her needs. Fast forward today as an adult. She described how last year she was in a relationship with a guy who was exactly like her dad. You're talking like years and years later, but she was saying that she was with this guy who was angry, he was verbally abusive, he was domineering. And as she was talking, it was like she just had these blinders on, and it was almost like she just believed it was unlucky, right? Just kind of like, oh, you know, poor me, I'm just unlucky, I don't know how this happened. And it clicked in my head. I'm like, this is not just being unlucky. This is, this is how you see. Let me explain it this way. If you have the internet, which all of us probably do, I think some of us maybe heard of Google Analytics, right? If you're a nerd, you understand that stuff. I'm not 100% nerd, so I can't fully do that. But Google, you use the Google search in- engine They have algorithms to figure out what you're interested in and so that it can bring you more of the same, right? If if you're into fishing, you look up fishing boats, well, those algorithms, those, it it, it starts bringing you things like fishing reels. It starts bringing you lures and poles and, and things that, to the point where it completely personalizes the internet because it learns how you think and that's eventually what you see. That's eventually all you see. But how many know that this is true in a spiritual sense? That there are algorithms in the spirit, so to speak. I'm not talking about some kind of new age power of positive thinking. If you think it, it comes true or blah, blah, blah. What I'm speaking about is that sometimes we end up empowering a lie. We end up empowering a lie so much that it becomes real. It becomes real to you. See, I believe that faith is, is powerful. See, when we place faith into heaven's promises, we get to access the favor and blessing of heaven. But in the same way, what faith actually means is trust. And so when we start trusting an inferior reality, when we start trusting into a lie, we empower that. 
to where that is what we see and what we experience in life. Jesus actually says you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I remember studying that word and that word truth actually means reality. It doesn't mean doctrine. It doesn't mean knowledge. It actually means like reality that Jesus is reality. So when we know Jesus, when we when we, when we read and really understand his words, we begin to see in the truest reality rather than this virtual reality that we all create. And so kind of back to our story, this young lady who's a Christian who grew up in a disordered household, the, the truth is or the lie that she empowered in her life was that she believed that she wasn't worthy of love. She was completely passed over. She wasn't, deep down she believed that her core belief that she was not worthy to be loved. And because she believed this lie, that it influenced not only how she saw the world, but what she saw. See, how do you end up in a relationship with someone who's just like your dad? You have so many options in life, and yet what happens is when our lens gets distorted, it's like we only see one option. It's like what we only know. And she even described how she felt like she didn't have close friends. That, um, And I asked her, I'm like, you know, you're probably assuming that people are talking about you, right? And she had this look on her face like, how did you know? It's like, yeah, you're probably creating stories in your head. You're thinking about what people are saying about you. You're, you're reading their intentions and you're thinking that they're rejecting you or they don't like you. But how do you know that, that that is not the truth? That's like a virtual reality. You've, you've already thinking that people have rejected you and you're portraying that on them. So the truth is, is that if, if you believe that people fundamentally don't like you, then guess what's going to happen? What's going to happen is, is that you're going to become shut down. You become guarded. You become standoffish. You, be, you actually become hard to be around. And because you project that belief through your body language, through your demeanor, through your language, you're actually telling people how to treat you, which is crazy. And then it becomes this lie that becomes empowered, and it's like everything that you see, it's like, oh, well, yeah, people don't like me. People don't love me. When the truth is you don't love yourself. When the truth is, is, is you're looking through this broken, shattered lens and only seeing the negative. Now, what I'm trying to show you guys tonight is that we often question what we see, but seldom do we question how we see. And in our story tonight, we see this blind beggar that Jesus heals. And in a nutshell, he actually discerns a spiritual reality of who Jesus is while other people could not. It's... it's it's like this mind-blowing story. He, he was blind, and yet he sees a true spiritual reality while other people completely miss it. And I want to talk about how our perspectives or even core values, they shape what we see, even when it comes to God. I mean, I've heard it said that a lot of times when we read the Bible, we actually read the Bible to validate what we already believe. Do you guys know that? We have so much of a bias that we actually read the Bible to validate what we believe rather than try to understand what it's actually saying. 
And that's part of the job of a good teacher is to, like, explain what the Bible actually means. Because our biases are so strong, we'll just read it and be like, oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. The Bible has been used for so many terrible things, right? To, like, oh, well, slavery is okay because, you know, um, Ishmael, right? They'll, they'll, like, connect all sorts of different things and use it to mean all sorts of different things it doesn't say. But... I want to get to our passage, and I want you guys to think about that, about how we think and how it shapes reality and what we see. We pick up in verse 8, chapter 9. It says, His neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, Isn't this man who sat begging? Some said, He's the one. No, other were saying, He looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Therefore, they asked him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went, I washed and I received my sight. They asked, where is he? I don't know, he said. So here's a guy that everyone in the neighborhood had known about for years. He probably sat in the same spot day after day, year after year, begging for money and for food. Jesus spits on the ground. He, he makes mud. He spreads it on his eyes, right? Kind of unusual. I mean, I don't know if I would be like, Jesus, this is not a good idea. It's not a good plan. I might get some kind of, you know, I need a tetanus shot or something. I don't know. They had different standards back then. But when he washes his eyes, his obedience, he goes and washes his eyes and his sight is restored. So imagine this. He doesn't look any different. It's not like he got a haircut. It's not that he changed his clothes. He was the same guy that everyone knew, and yet some people believed it wasn't him. If you look back at the text, it says, isn't this the man who sat begging? And some said, yeah, that's the guy. Look at him. He's, 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 we've always known him. While others were saying, no, that's, that can't be the guy. That's just someone who looks like him. Even though he kept saying, I am that same guy. See, how you see determines what you see. Someone who doesn't believe that God can do a miracle and someone that believes that God can still perform miracles, they're both right. Some people, or in this story, these people, some people were so hard-hearted that they couldn't believe that this could have been the same man. The, the same guy that they had saw day after day, year after year, they, they just couldn't believe it. Like, God doesn't do miracles anymore, or God's not real. Or, and they couldn't see it, even though the truth presented itself in front of them. They used to say that um, seeing is believing, but now they're starting saying that believing is seeing. Because we're so biased. And that was said in the scientific community, right? Like, prove it, right? See it. Seeing is believing. But a lot of times you can't see it unless you believe it. See, there, there, there are some people, even maybe people here tonight, that you might believe that God is out to get you, right? That, that he wants to punish your every wrong decision. He wants to repay you for your sin. You know, you get a flat tire and this person says to themselves, oh, God, he, he must be mad at me again. You know, he's disciplining me for all those times I, I fell asleep during the pastor's sermon, 
for skipping church. He must be out to get me again. They, they view life through this lens that all bad things in life is really God punishing them and actively working against them because he hates them. The truth is, if, if we believe that God is a fundamentally a harsh father who's angry, who seeks to, to punish you for every fault, then that is how you will interpret life. And what's sad is that you will associate every bad thing that happens to you as God's anger. Even the insurance companies, right? Like we, there's been all these fires. They call it an act of God. When, the, when the storms and things happen, it's like this is an act of God. That's what we call it. That's how they look at it through that lens. Like if there's a storm or hurricane, that's an act of God. If it's a fire that burns down thousands of houses, that's an act of God. There was even people saying, oh, 9-11, that was like God's judgment on America for abortion. Right? So, so God hates abortion so much that he, he killed more people. He killed more human lives. That doesn't make any sense if you think about it. Like God so values human life that he's, he kills people. But that, is, that could be a, a lens that some of us look through. While other people, see, if you, if you believe that God is good, that he's perfect, that he's faithful, he's slow to anger, that he's bounding in steadfast love, that like that song we're singing is a good, good father, and he's perfect in all his ways, what happens is you're going to interpret life and associate everything good that happens in your life as God's blessing and his favor. I mean, doesn't the scripture say that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights? You would recognize that. You would see, like, man, like, this is a blessing. I got a promotion. This is a blessing. Like, I had food to eat tonight. That is a blessing. I'm healthy. Like, you just start seeing life as a blessing. And even those who, who have that, that belief that God is good, even when something bad happens to them, I've noticed that, they still believe that God's goodness can actually supersede the evil done to them. Right? Do we believe that God's goodness can supersede all the bad stuff, all the evil that has happened to you? Will we believe that? It is actually in the Bible. I've been, I tell people this, and this is something that I hold on to myself. Many of you have heard the story of Joseph, right? Wrongly sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, falsely accused, sitting in a jail cell for some of the goal, his best years in his life, and yet he interprets the dream of Pharaoh, and everything changes in one day. You guys know that? Like, everything changes. He gets, like, a new haircut. He gets new clothes. He gets a new job. Pharaoh gives him a wife. He gives him, gives him a house. Like, one day, everything changed in his life. And what you read, this is what Joseph did. We read in the, in the story in Genesis 41, 51. He actually names his firstborn son Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. So, like, all that bad stuff you read, it's like Joseph, like, God's grace and favor and blessing was so poured out on Joseph's life that he forgot what it was like to go through all of that. Isn't that amazing? Look at Job. Job, I think, endured something that nobody or very few people have endured. He lost everything. And yet, we read this at the end of Job's life. It says, the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. And, and actually, what we read is that God restores double. He restores double to what Job had before the trial, before losing it all. That's amazing. God can restore to us double. 
And it's actually in the Levitical law that a thief had to repay double for what they stole. And so for some of you who've gone through a lot, did you know that God can repay uh, double what the enemy has stolen from you? He can make the enemy repay double. That is amazing. Pray it over yourself. Like, God, like, I've had a lot of bad stuff happen to me, but I want you to, you know, to make the enemy repay double for what he is taking. I want you to restore the, the years and the, the crops and the things that the locusts have, eating, have eaten in my life. That's amazing. And that is something that we all need to hold on to. That no matter what evil, no matter what has happened to us, that we hold on to that God is good. That he can restore. That he can heal. He can bless. And it can be better than, than, than before. But I want to kind of take a pause right now and have a table talk. And I want you guys to talk in your group and answer this question for the next few minutes is, how do you know if you're seeing through a distorted and broken lens? How do you know? What ways can you know? And so go ahead, discuss that amongst yourselves, and we'll talk about that. Let's continue our story. We got some more text to get through. Verse 13, they, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Uh-oh. So again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He says, he put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes. He's a prophet, he said. So let's recount this. A a blind beggar receives his sight. He tells his testimony to his neighbors. And there's different responses. Some believe it's him, some not. Now he takes his testimony to the Pharisees, the religious experts who study the word of God. They, they get paid to, to know the word of God, to study. And they spent their whole lives pouring over scripture, reading about Moses, David, Elijah, God's miracles, God's power. You would think that there should be unanimous consensus that this miracle is from God. But they're just as divided as the common people, the people that... Don't get paid to go to church. Don't get paid to study the word of God. There's still division. And I want to break this up into three groups because we see three responses, right? The the first group of religious Pharisees, they say, well, this man, he's he's not from God. He, He doesn't even keep the Sabbath. He doesn't honor it. Well, this first group, I want to talk about kind of their core values, this first group who believed that he wasn't from God, they, they actually believed that sacrifice was better than obedience. They, they be, that sacrifice became their religion. See, they, they, they believed that a strict adherence to the law, customs, traditions, made you holy and brought you favor with God. See, that, that was their core belief, and that is how they interpreted life. So if a, if a person follows the law, if they, you know, follow the traditions, if they do all the, the ritual things, all, the, all the, the things that a good a Jewish boy or girl should do, then they were good. 
you were good. But if they didn't, if they didn't follow those things, or if they were inconsistent in those things, then that person was a sinner. So when they encounter this Jesus figure, they hear about him who lived his life in radical obedience to the Father rather than man-made rules and regulations. When they saw this, it didn't make sense because they valued sacrifice. They didn't value obedience. See, what they saw, what they saw through their lens is that this man, he, he broke the Sabbath. How could he be obedient to God? He, he didn't follow the rules. And what is sad is that their religious legalism blinded them from seeing the true reality of Jesus. And my question is that, do we do this today? Do our rules, our customs, our traditions supersede true obedience to God? Do we place more emphasis on the things, on those things rather than obedience to God's word and the Holy Spirit? It's interesting to think about. Do we get stuck in some of these uh, going through the motions? Just doing it so that we can look good or so that we can be approved by God? Or is there that still that soft, willing heart that wants to obey? Now, the second group, they're different than the first group. You know, they, they, this is a group that said, well, how can he be a sinful man because he's performing such signs? What they're saying is that we, we know that at least he's not a sinner, right? How, he couldn't be this, uh, just a sinner because he's doing these things. And while I believe that they're closer to the, first, uh, closer to the truth than the first group, um, what they're saying isn't that flattering, right? Like, well, he isn't a sinner or, you know, maybe he's not that bad. But the truth is that even some of the Pharisees probably didn't see themselves as sinners either because of their strict lifestyle and belief in Yahweh. In fact, sometimes that, that term sinner was more attributed to Gentiles who were outside of God's covenant with Israel. I mean, there are even some today who believe that Jesus, well, he, he was just a nice guy. He was a moral teacher. That he, he wasn't necessarily God or the full expression of God in human flesh. He was just a nice person. He was good, right? He wasn't bad. So it's like that middle road almost. But lastly, we see this third and final response of the once blind beggar who declares he is a prophet. See, my question is, is how does the blind guy get to the closest, of the true, get to the closest truth of the true reality of Jesus Christ? I mean, imagine this. You guys last year kind of went to the lab and pretended you were blind. He spent his entire life begging on a street corner. People probably spat on him because they, they believed that God only cursed sinners. That was kind of a, a worldview. Or even the disciples even believed that, that God only curses sinners, that maybe it was his parents or he did something really bad in order for him to get stricken with blindness. You know, he, he was the guy that he could have played the victim card. He could have been the one that complained, well, life isn't fair or, you know, I've been dealt a bad hand. He, he could have been the person who believed that God was angry with him, that God was punishing him for something that he didn't even do, but something that his ancestors did and now he's atoning from it. He probably had years and years and years of gunk, of bugs, of, of crap all over his windshield. That could have completely distorted his view of God, of the world. I mean, 
this guy had the best excuse out of all of them, don't you think? He had, like, the best excuse to, like, hate God, to curse God, to, like, not want anything to do with God, not even to believe in him. And yet, he was the only person, he was the only person who came to the true, to the true reality that Jesus, he was a prophet. He was of God. He was sent from God. I don't understand that. To me, it's like, this is so mind-blowing. Like, how does a guy overcome all of that? How does he overcome this, his whole life and, and be, he'd be the one who actually sees the truth? And so, kind of we're near the end, but I wanted us to talk about this, this question is, how do you take years of grime, gunk, bug splatter off your windshield so that you can see clearly, right? And I'm talking about perspective. Like, how do you actually remove some of that stuff off of that? You guys get it? All right. For the next few minutes, let's do that, and then we'll close. All right, let's wrap it up. I know it's... Uh, <clears throat> so how do you take years of grime, gunk, and blood, or bug splatter off your windshield? Hopefully not blood. You're not hitting somebody or something. <laughs> Run somebody over. Off your windshield so that uh, you can see clearly. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like, you never know. How do you guys do that? Like, that's, that was a hard, it, that is such a hard question to answer. It honestly is because my, my question was very, very slow, or my answer was very slowly. You know, what, uh, Jesus said that I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them right now. I think it's a process with, with, with Jesus, with his people, with all sorts of things that we have in, in life, reading the word. It's a slow process because, to be honest, like, even if he told us the truth, it's like that word burden means to, like, support something that of weight. And so he could, like, tell you, like, uh, something that's true, like, I love you. But what happens is when we start comparing our experiences or that virtual reality, like, oh, well, how can God love me because this happened or that happened or blah, blah, blah. It's like that person cannot bear the weight of that revelation that God loves them because they're looking at an inferior reality. And so I have to close tonight, but I wanted to close with this scripture of what Jesus said, and we'll pray. Jesus writes, or he, he speaks, and he says, the, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And how many know that that eye is a metaphor for perception, how we perceive what we see? And so closing, it's not what happens to you that matters as much as how influenced, how you see the world. And what happens is that eventually how you see determines what you see, and it brings more to you. Jesus tells that if our eye which represents how we perceive, is set on true, the true reality that Jesus unfolds, well, our entire life will be flooded with the lightness of light, with the fruit of the Spirit. But if our eye is bad, focused on an inferior, broken reality, on a lie, it will be, will be overcome with darkness. Let us pray. Father, I thank you tonight, Lord, for everyone here, God. And I just pray that your spirit of wisdom and revelation, God, would 
would touch each one here tonight, God. I know without your Holy Spirit, Lord, we could never see uh, the things, the lies, the, the, the untruths that, that hold us, that keep us shackled and keep us bound, Lord. And I just pray that each and every person that you'd begin to lovingly reveal, maybe some of the lies, some of the things, or the broken lenses that, that, that they look through, that we look through as a people, and that you would bring healing to our eyes so that our light, our, we would experience this light-giving life. And so we just pray, I just pray blessing upon every person here that they would uh, live this week for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.